we got a uh, special guest speaker. <laughs> Let's just see if we can get him up here and go. Oh. <laughs> okay, Jim, I'm here for mine. There I am. There you are. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. I know you. Hi, Gary. I saw you waving. Yeah. I want to make it clear my voice is the way it is because of campers, not COVID. So, with that said, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Great Old Church. Happy Father's Day to all you guys. And uh, like I say, you probably heard that we've had uh, uh, some exposure to COVID and a stomach bug, and it's left us all home today. But we'll be back next week, hopefully in better shape. I want to thank everybody that's helped with camp. We had a great time at camp. It was hot, and uh, but we survived it and thrived under it and had a great time. Just really a good time, and I just appreciate all of you that have that supported by sponsoring a camper in some way or helped get some families ready. Thanks a lot for that. Um, I want a, a shout out to uh, Charles Tolbert because uh, he gave us the design and I don't know if you guys are looking at pictures right now. He gave us the design for these whirly birds, for the, these cardinal whirly birds. We made about 50 of them. In fact, I know we made 50 of them. And you probably, we lined up the road that went into Little Prairie with these, so the parents, as they came to pick up their campers, uh, they got to see uh, what they had made, and it was just a lot of fun. Uh, even uh, We even made one for Miranda, and she got one with a signed shirt to let her know we missed her a lot. So, just to appreciate all of you very much. Kind of weird being on TV, I never wanted to be on TV, and so, here we go. You know, since it's Father's Day, I was thinking several weeks ago, why not talk about the dads of the disciples? And I began to research and look behind it and couldn't find a lot of books on it. And as I started looking, I couldn't help but notice there's a lot more information in the scriptures. And we get to peer into uh, some of the families, especially James and John, uh, with uh, how a father and the role of a father is, and how much impact it makes. So if you want to get your notes out, we're going to look at some things today. I mean, what can we learn from these 12 disciples, the fathers of these 12? Well, we can learn quite a bit. <coughs> For example, uh, we, we learn three ways that dads have a major impact on their children. And it's not just dads, but also moms as well. We can learn all this about parenting. Let me give them, give them to you. Number one, fathers pinpoint identity. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but the Gospels use fatherhood to identify the twelve. Let's look at it. For example, look at Peter here in, first, in, in John 1. Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, son of John, or Jonah. You'll be called Cephas, which means, which when translated is Peter. Here's another passage. Look at Matthew. As he was passing by, he saw Levi, or Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. Um, then there's, I didn't realize this, but there was more than one Judas in the twelve, and there's Judas, or Thaddeus, and notice it says in Luke 6, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, 
who became a traitor. So there was this Judas guy, and I can see why the Gospels wanted to put a little distance between, you know, Judas Iscariot and Thaddeus, so they made sure we knew this, that this, there was another Judas in the group, and he happened, his dad happened to be the name of James. Then there's Judas Iscariot. I don't know why I missed this. I didn't realize that Simon Iscariot is mentioned in the scriptures, but there it is. It says in the plainest nose on your face, he met Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. And probably the, the, the family or the sons that we uh, see used the most or we talk about the most of the twelve, it's James and John. I'd like to ask if you raise your hand, how many Jameses and Jims are at church today? Would you, well, how about stand up, James? I see Jim Simpson, and I see James. Any, is, is, James, is Jim Bauer over there? Is, he, is there anybody else? Okay, you can sit down. Okay, you've had your moment. But there's, we have a lot of Jims, a lot of Jameses. There's Jim Quick, again, Jim Simpson, James Mitchell, Jim Shrimp, Jim Bauer. How do we know the difference? How do we get to figure out who's who? By simply looking at a father's name. All we have to use is their father's name. Their father's name clarifies who they are. And that's the same thing when it comes to the twelve. Look at this passage here in Matthew 4. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. You know, studies have shown that dads have a major impact. They still have a major impact on the, the identity of their children. And it's in two ways. Really, you think about it, it's two ways they help identify the children. One, it's how others see you. Have you ever had anybody say this? Oh, I know who, you're, who you are because I see a resemblance with your father. And, and so there's maybe a physical resemblance. How other people see you, they can they can figure that out. I, I was going through about 50 campers this week, and as the boys walked up, especially the boys, they had their they looked like a little version, of, you know, a mini me of their dad, and uh, they acted just like him. I remember 19 years old buying a car, my second car. I went into the local dealership and I sat down with a guy named Sylvan Stennett. And he, first thing he asked me, well, who's your dad? And I go, well, I've never had this asked before, buying a car. I said, well, it's Jim Gill. And I remember his reaction. Oh. <laughs> huh. I thought, what's that all about? And then, I, and, and then he says, what's your mom's name? I said, Rudell Gill. And I'll never forget, he goes, oh, Rudy, yeah. I'm like, Thank God, one of my parents kind of redeemed me there. But it's how people perceive us. It's how people see us. It's, uh, we still have this fatherhood or this connection to fatherhood, but not just how other people see us. It's also how we see ourselves. It is crystal clear through science and psychology that how we see ourselves socially, how we see ourselves sexually, and how we see ourselves spiritually comes a lot and mostly from our fathers. Now I know some of us here, you would say, well, you know, I've been influenced the most by my mother. 
And I've been, and I, I can, I'm telling you, you're absolutely right. I, I can say that too. I've been influenced the most by my mother and my grandmother and my wife. I had a lot of, these women have really had an impact on me. But I can't deny whether my father was absent or present, he had an impact in my life. And he has had and has an impact, still has one on you. You see, who I am is an extension of who my father is. And who my kids are, and dads, this is very important to remember, who my kids are is an extension of who I really am. By the way, it's good to know this, isn't it, that your Heavenly Father, He has a lot to do with pinpointing who you really are. That's what I think is exciting to know on Father's Day. Look at Psalms 39, 139. We looked, we had this verse at camp. We looked at this, had a whole lesson built around it. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I love the way the voice paraphrase says it. It says here, I will offer you my grateful heart, for I am your unique creation filled with wonder and awe. You have approached even the smallest details with excellence. Your works are wonderful. I carry this knowledge deep within my soul. I always, when I always look at this passage, I always know, I always work on and focus on the wonderfully made part of that passage. But the fearfully, it, you know, there's some things about ourselves that we see and we're just like taken back and, you know, out of respect even, or it's over our head, or we don't even know if we can figure ourselves out. Have you ever asked yourself stuff like that? Like, why do I do what I do? And it's kind of like frightening to see yourself as you really are. But yet God has made us in an awesome way. And, a, and it does, it can create a little fear there, but it's good fear. And in a wonderful way, He has made us. And we find out who we really are through Jesus Christ. Look at this passage here in 1 John. Because God has a lot to do with this. He says, the Father has loved us so much that we are called children of God. And we really are His children. I've got a blank there for you to fill in. You say, what am I going to put there? Well, we've been looking at the disciples. Levi, son of Alphaeus, Simon, son of John. I'd like you to put your name in that first blank and either put son or daughter. Because Tim, son of God, is a true statement. And your name as a son or a daughter of God is so true. You get, you and I get as a believer, your heavenly father, my heavenly father, they, he pinpoints our identity in Christ Jesus. And because of that, that means that you and I are here to resemble him, but also here to build up his reputation. Oh, you're a Christian. You reflect the Father's glory. You, you resemble God. Because that's what we were made to begin with, weren't we? We were made to follow in His image. And so that's the first thing I noticed, that fathers, they pinpoint identity. They pinpoint your identity. They pinpoint mine. Here's the second thing we know about fathers on Father's Day and the, from the fathers of the Twelve. Fathers pass on their values. All fathers do, whether present or not. They pass on their values. They pass on their morals, their ideals, 
their priorities, their faith. You know, the nation of Israel was divided in two. There was a north and a south, kind of like our Civil War back in the 1800s. They were divided in two. They had kings on both in both uh, nations. And I want, to, I want you to cease, notice something that the Bible observes this. Almost every king, there's a reference to their father. Here's an example. Hazia, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He served and worshipped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel. And look what it says. Just as his father had done. He caught some things from his dad. Now, while this is going on, Jehoshaphat is reigning in Judah. And look what it says here. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of uh, Shilhai. In everything he followed the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, more is caught than taught is still true, isn't it? It's still true. Our, we, as dads, teach our kids, and they also catch from us everything in between. And I see this all the time. And it was especially true during the ancient times. Because dads and sons and moms and daughters spent time, spent all day together, every day together, learning skills and values from each other. That's why you'll see a lot of times uh, the skill of a father is passed on to the skill of a son. We saw, we see this in our history as recently as the 1800s. A lot of farmers pass on to their children the techniques and skills of farming and the values, the values, the core values they have. I was reading something I found very interesting. It's a, it's a set of manuscripts from the ninth century and one of them is called, is called Cyril of Jerusalem. It's an old Greek manuscript and in it, it had a list of the twelve disciples, the names of their fathers, and their occupations. I found this fascinating. There are three other manuscripts, and they found these in various places in Europe in monasteries. And uh, I'm just so glad they they preserved them and they're still here. And they and they show the names of the disciples and their fathers' names and what they did. For example, Philip, and we talked about Philip a few weeks ago. I failed to mention it. I wanted to say that, I don't know why I say that, that his name means lover of horses. And his dad's name, uh, Philosanos, well, he was a horse breeder and a charioteer. He raced horses. You could say before NASCAR, there was an Earnhardt family of Philip and his dad, and they went around racing these crazy, these crazy races. And if you've seen Ben Hur, you know it can get pretty nasty out there. I don't know how they did it. They did it title for title or tail for tail or whatever. But they passed this love of horses, this passion for horses, and this idea of racing 
down to the next generation. You know, Thomas, his dad, was a sculptor. And so you have this, you really have a cross-section of so many different interests and, and uh, ideas in the Twelve. They weren't all fishermen, but they, they learned the skills and principles from their dad. Even Jesus confirms this idea of values being passed on to him. Look at this in John chapter 5. The son does, does only what he sees the father doing because the son does whatever the father does. Now it reminded me this morning as I was putting some finishing touches on this thing. I remember a, a commercial and I looked it up on YouTube and it was there from 1967. And it was an anti-smoking commercial. And some of us older geezers, man, we remember this commercial, I'm sure. Remember it's a father and son, they're walking along. And, and as they're walking along, they're, maybe they're painting the house. And you see the dad painting and the little, little boy grabs a little play brush and acts like he's painting the house as well. Or they're driving the car. And believe it or not, there were car seats in 1967 for children. They were crude, but they, they had them. And it shows old boy, he's got his little driving a little steering wheel and he's beeping on the horn and the dad puts out his arm to make a top right and you know, make a turn and the boy puts out his arm doesn't quite get reach out the side of the window but he's doing the same thing he's the dad starts skipping rocks the boy starts trying to skip rocks then they're sitting down relaxing and there's and the commercial said yes like father like son and he gets out of his pack of cigarettes lights up and sets them down between them, and the little boy sees it. And you know what he does. Remember? He picks them up and looks inside, and it says, yes, like father, like son. And they say, think about it. Man, what a crude commercial, huh? And then wasn't very much long after that, about seven years later, Harry Chapin comes up with this song that all dads love, Cats in a Cradle, right? I mean, I know you want to get that out and listen to it today. No. But remember, he, it's a song about him being too busy to be with his son. And then later in life, he calls his son and says, well, you know, hey, can we spend some time? Because I'm sorry, but with everything going on, the kids, and, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it. And, it. and that line, that haunting line, he says, as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, my boy was just like me. My boy was just like me. I know, listen, dads and moms, you know, the world, I just come back from church camp dealing with 7 to 11 year olds. The world is influencing our kids. But I learned something else. The home is too. The home is too. And we're so worried about the latest things that our kids are being taught in school. And I'll tell you, man, we should be. We should be focused on that. We should be saying, speaking up, and doing stuff about it. But, oh, we need to be looking at home. You hear me? We need to be looking at Papa, Gigi, Grandma. You know, you're not done. You need to be looking at home. Because it's still a haven and a powerful place of influence. You see, the values of dad, the values of mom, but the values of dad spill over into the lives of our children. 
read a book years ago called Point Man by Steve Farrar. And though it's written in the 90s, it's still a great book. The title comes from a Vietnam practice where when you're on patrol, you put the guy up front and he's he's guiding everybody else through the jungles. He's called the Point Man. He's the first guy to see the enemy. He's the first guy to protect it. The rest, he's the first guy to get shot many times. And Steve Farrar understood what it meant to be a point man because many times in Vietnam, he was selected to be that point man. And he's, he encourages men to think of themselves as this point man and their family is following them through the jungle. And he makes it real clear in one chapter that it was the industrial revolution that really changed us as dads. Because see, dad was always with his son. And mom was always home with the daughter and with the kids. But when the industrial revolution came, it changed all that, didn't it? All of a sudden, dad's gone a lot. All of a sudden, dad isn't passing on the skills like he used to because they're not there as often. They're out working and coming home. I've also noticed this, though. It's not just the industrial age that has weakened the role of a dad, but it's divorce, too. And I know some of us here have come from homes that were divorced, and we know that how, how hard that was. And maybe even experiencing it now, maybe you're a family that's ha- having that going on right now. And I've encouraged couples, listen, I know, I know that, and I know there's some situations where it, it would be awful to have them around dad, but there's a lot more of them than I've noticed. And I've encouraged some couples, you want to make sure dad's involved somehow, some way. And I, why? Because they pass on. And, and yeah, they, they, they can pass on some messed up values. That's why dad is so important. You work on those values. It starts with you. Zebedee passed on his values and his morals and his skills to his boys. And I just simply want to ask you, gentlemen, what values, what morals, what ethics, what priorities are your boys, are your girls catching from you? Is it the value of the buck? Is it possessions and stuff? Is it relationships in the right kind? Is it spiritual? Is it about the kingdom? You see, coming back from camp, you know, I I get to talk to every family as they register. And um, you see from the front row the values, how much families focus on Values and guidance <coughs> versus a very passive approach. And see, most of the kids at church camp, they're church kids. It's not just crazy pagan kids, folks. But I see church kids and home isn't giving them the values. It's, it's sports. <laughs> I have been coughing all day and all of a sudden now I am emotional, that's why. 
it's sports that's a big deal. And I'm not saying you can't have kids. Sports have kids in sports. But it's not our primary focus in life to see how far a kid can throw a ball. No, it's got to be much deeper than this. And it's, you know, it's not about all about dance and gymnastics. But it's about decision making. See, we spent a week working with these kids on showing them how to be critical thinkers. How to think and how to figure out and distinguish between what's right, what's wrong, what's good, and what's better. It's a challenge. And some of these kids, it wasn't their age that was the problem. They weren't even, they weren't equipped very well to even focus on it. A lot of, a lot of them were. And I could tell it was from home. A lot of it had to do with home. So fathers, they pinpoint who I am, who you are. We pinpoint for our children who they are socially and sexually and spiritually. But they also pass on. We pass on values, very important values. We want to make sure they're the best values. And lastly, fathers prepare. This is the thing probably I noticed the most. In fact, I don't even know if we ever really outgrow it. I'm not sure if we really ever outgrow this idea of preparing our fathers. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. I've, I've found, I ran across a little article. It was by Claire Lerner. And it's on a website called Zero to Three. And she wrote an article a few years ago called The Daddy Factor. And in it, she stressed how, how much the presence of dad from, from even before they're born, um, the social impact it makes, that these kids are more social, and able, and, and able to get along with people better, and able to work with others, and they have better, they have better social skills, and he even said they even have a better marriage when dad is around, and is not just in the room, but in their life. Academically, kids whose father is involved, they do tons better. There's, there's a security, and I can talk about this firsthand. I can talk about this for a long time, this idea of security and confidence that when a dad is present and involved in their children, in developing their children early on, that how confident and secure they personally feel in life and later in life. I still, to this day, deal with insecurity in a in a way I shouldn't have to. And I don't blame my father, okay? But I know that had a big impact. And that's why I was involved in my kids' lives so much, because I did not want them to grow up being afraid of people, afraid of themselves. I admire their courage today and their security. They helped me. <laughs> when I'm, I was the other day, I was like talking to them, and they were like, Dad, don't worry about it. You're fine. You're doing fine. They're, now they're helping me. You know, Moses reminds us of the spiritual, this spiritual factor, this impact, this daddy factor in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In fact, this is a, this is a passage that the kids ministry uses as a mantra. 
Always remember, he says, these commands that I give you. He's talking to the parents. Always remember it. Be sure to teach them to your children. Talk about these commands when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your foreheads to help you remember my teachings. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. I, I couldn't help but notice, I've always saw this passage as, well, make sure you're talking to them, make sure you remind them, make sure you write it around. And he said, yeah, do that for their benefit, but also do it for your benefit. Put them on your hands, Mom. Your hands, Dad. Wear them on your foreheads. Make sure you've got, what is he talking about? Really make sure you, you always have in your mind the Word of God and, and the principles of God. At every meal at camp this year, we had a Bible verse that went along with the theme of true and reasonable. Everything from watch out for false prophets to Pilate saying, what is truth? To, to, uh, just all kinds of things that encourage us to focus on the Word of God and to do what it says. When I read this passage in Deuteronomy 6, though, it sounds like a week at church camp. And that, I think it's, you know, and that's how church camp is. All this, all these reminders, all these little talks, all this encouragement from the moment they get up throughout the day, Till they go to bed. We even close out the evening with a devotional and with the, with a cabin talk. And I, I couldn't help but notice so many lights still on after lights out discussing some pretty heavy things that eight year olds and nine year olds had questions about. About gender. Yeah, an eight-year-old asking about gender. I had an eight-year-old ask me about gender. Blew my mind. Like, why are you, you shouldn't be worried about that. But she's getting taught some things. And she's got questions and wants answers from the Lord. You know, there's, uh, there's very little information about the family life of the twelve. But when you look at Zebedee's house, you can feel Deuteronomy 6 was a big part of, of what they did, and it guided his home. Look at this passage. This is really the only, the only family we really get to look into. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and, and um, I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And notice what they're doing. And they were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. You know, Zebedee and Sons was a major commercial fishing, fishing company at that time. Very successful. You can imagine James and John, we talked about this, how much they probably learned from their dad. All about fishing, all about planning, how to keep books, how to be responsible, how to work hard, work smart. Probably learned how to take risks 
because you have to take risks when you're trying to run a business. So he was showing them how to plan and prepare. But there was a greater business that Zebedee wanted his boys prepared for, and that was the Heavenly Father's business. And I just noticed Dad prepared them to follow when the Lord called. And how old are these guys? Are they 12? No, they're older than that. They're young men, and Dad is still preparing them. That's why I know I still am called to prepare my sons to meet Jesus. The next time they encounter Jesus, the next the day they they draw their last breath, I want my influence, and Dad, you want your influence to be there on their deathbed when they meet Jesus. And you want them to be ready. I thought it was funny. Zebedee doesn't leave his nets. Jesus didn't call him. You know, sometimes the kids have a different path than mom and dad. I'm very fortunate to have my two sons near me. I know many of you don't. They've moved away. They've moved the other side of the world in some ways. I'm very fortunate that they know they have the freedom to go wherever they want. We've talked about it many times. To cherish our time together because we don't know at any moment. God may call us to another country. We've even talked about that as well. I just want them ready. I want them to... And I, and I want you to think about this, Dad. You want your children ready. To, when they hear the call of Jesus, follow me, that they'll drop what they're doing. And it's okay they leave you in order to accomplish that. It's a big deal. I, I couldn't help as I researched this that it, this was something that, that uh, really, um, really made me think how things have changed. During ancient times, it was an honor for a son to follow a rabbi. I'm not so sure today that's that's shared in our culture. Am I right, Mark? You know, I'm, I'm just nodding your head. Yeah, I just today, I, you know, if we get to you get too close to a church leader or to get, I know there's corruption. I know that. When we get too close to a youth worker or get too serious about following Christ, I don't know, they're going to find out about my family or they're, they're going to get too serious and I'm going to make me nervous and I'm going to have to start getting busy. Eh? You know? Boy, I tell you what, I'm so glad my boys had godly men and godly women in their life. It takes a village. It still does, guys. And you don't want to impede or thwart any time they can get with other men guys, your sons to learn how to, especially a man of God now I notice Zebedee makes no attempt Salome, remember she's the one that said I want you, to, I want my boys at your left and right, I want my boys close to you, Zebedee and Salome make no attempt to stop their boys from leaving the family business to follow Jesus they don't. Why? I, that's what I thought about. Why? Because they're preparing them. And, and the thing is, leaving dad and mom is a natural milestone in life. 
Am I right? Did you know the first reference to a father is in that context? It's in Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father. The very first reference to a dad, it's about leaving. Now I know some teenagers are excited right now. All right. Well, I just think it's interesting that as fathers we should be excited for that day. You know, some of us hold on to our kids so tight. You know, I don't, I'm kind of glad my kids now, you know, in their thirties or close to thirties, uh, aren't home. I'm glad they're on their own. You know, the great thing about kids when they leave, they bring back other kids. Grandkids. I'm glad. More of them. But I just think that's interesting that that's first of all, Zebedee and Salome understood that leaving mom and dad is a natural milestone. So we better make the best of it and get them ready to go. But there's another one. I believe they were working and preparing for this very moment. Because it's a why because it's a critical spiritual moment in every life too. It's the big question every kid, every one of our children's gonna answer like we did. What are we going to do with Jesus Christ? And it had to be, I know how Zebedee had to feel when he watched his boys leave. We got to go, Dad. You go, man. You go. That's the best decision in the world. And it's, listen, it's never too late to start encouraging that kind of decision. Never too late. You see, I know as a parent one day, I know one day a child, your, your child, you know this, is going to have a reason to leave home. Sometimes they're going to start leaving when they want to go out with their friends. Can I have the keys? And it's going to, you're going to be worried. Or out on a date. You're going to be worried and angry at the same time. Or they're going to go away to college. I know parents, I know some parents right now, their kids are going to, to college and not down the road a few miles, but it takes an hour or so to get there. Or maybe a job. But the church dads listen to me when they go, man, you want your child to go with the Lord. You want to be ready to follow Jesus. Look what the Bible says here in Ephesians 6, fathers, don't make your children angry. Look what it says here. But raise them up with the kind of teaching and training you learn from the Lord. I asked the kids this week at camp. I said, it says children obey your parents. What's the age limit on that? And they go, when you leave, I didn't see no age limit. You mean you're still doing what your mommy says? You're a mama's boy. I'm a godly man. And you listen to your mom. Bible teaches it. It commands it. But I just thought that was interesting. Is that, And there's no age limit here. You say, oh, well, they're children. When they become men, you don't bother them anymore. I don't believe that. I believe I'm going to keep bothering my kids. If, I, if it's bothering them, I'm going to keep influencing. As long as I've got breath in my lungs and blood pumping through my veins. And I just think it's a challenging thought, Dad, that preparation starts with, with you and me. It starts with our own devotion to the Lord. 
And I just want to ask you, just to ask yourself this question. I'm asking this too. How am I preparing my children to meet Jesus? You see, Zebedee would sacrifice the family business. There's a lot of security there. A lot of capital there. He lost maybe two of his best employees. He lost who who was going to inherit inherit the thing. And I just think about all the things that he sacrificed. And I think about today. I think about parents today. The things that we're willing to sacrifice for achievement. Whatever that achievement is. For a trophy. My son said to me, Dad, I think the greatest trophy that any dad would want their son or daughter to possess is a testimony for Jesus Christ. I thought, I'm going to say that. That's powerful. I want to leave you with this thought. There's a promise in the Bible. And a lot of times when you read promises like this, we think about the exception. I want you to remember, be reminded it's a promise. There's power in these promises. Train a child how to live the right way. Then when he is old, he will still live that way. I want you to know I'm aware of all the exceptions. I've been to church camp so many years. I see those exceptions play out as adults. But I tell you what, this year, as I prepared, I had this lesson prepared two weeks ago. I witnessed something I have missed many times. I witnessed that this verse does come true. It isn't always, no, it doesn't happen. It happens more often than we think. Because I saw campers in my past as moms and dads bringing their kids to camp that were faithful followers of Jesus. And I couldn't help but think, I remember when their parents brought them, their grandparents brought them. There is a spiritual lineage. And it's not held on by a thread. It is a chain. It is a chain of faithfulness that leads that sometimes leads our children, pulls them out of the fire, and sometimes it keeps them secure to the spiritual moorings that Jesus Christ provides. And I want to say to you, Mom, I want to say to you, Dad, especially Dad and Grandpa, you don't have to be a great dad, you don't have to be a great grandpa to help your kids, okay? Just be a good one. And God will bless it. God will bless it. Trust Him. Because they get their identity from you. And they get the values from you. And oh my God. They depend on your preparation. Let me read this poem to you. And then we'll pray. It's called A Successful Dad. It goes like this. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had. But I've got to be successful as this little fella's dad. 
There are certain dreams I cherish that I'd like to see come true. There are things I would accomplish ere my working day is through. But the task my heart is set on is to guide a little lad and to make myself successful as this little fellow's dad. I may never come to glory. I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if he follows after, becomes godly, I'll be glad. For I'll know I've been successful as this little fellow's dad. And may God bless you dads to rekindle the passion and courage. You get out there and you just follow the Lord and raise another follower. Let's pray. Oh God, I wish I was at church today. But it's, it's good to be at least connected in some way. And Father, I pray this morning, I know Dad's here, we struggle with guilt and shame and pride and gratitude. I mean, we have, it's all mixed together. And I know some of us here, some of us women here, some, some of us uh, moms here and dads have not, didn't have the dad we wished we could have had. And, and, and Father, we, we're doing what we can. Oh, would you just help us rekindle our, our fire and, re, and, and renew our spirit and equip us, Father. Equip us with the tools we need. Fill our spiritual toolbox like you fill our physical toolbox with things that we can use to prepare our sons and daughters for that moment that they carry on, that they meet Jesus. That moment when they're confronted with confusion about what to do with their identity, with their purpose. Help us as dads and help, help us as moms to prepare our children. I cannot bother to think the day when my mom and dad, I watch them as they're holding each other as I drive away in the rearview mirror, they're holding each other under the big pecan tree, both weeping as I left home, officially left home to get married on my wedding day. And Father, I pray that, that the mom and dad's here can hold on to one another and prepare for that day when their children leave and be excited to know that they're going with God. Well, there are a lot of people sick. And Father, I think a lot of people emotional over topics like COVID and quarantine. Father, we just pray, all of us, you calm us down to, to, to be united and loving one another and caring for one another and respecting one another. And Father, bless this day, this Dad's day, with happiness and peace. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you all. All right? Have a good day.